Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Previously in our study of the Book of Romans, Pastor Murphy has been showing us some of the unique characteristics surrounding the doctrine of salvation. Today, in Romans chapter 3, verses 29 and 30, we'll see the third feature that salvation abolishes all human distinctions. So the essence of the gospel, the essence of the gospel is that God has done for man something that man could not do for himself. The work of salvation is complete. Redemption is finished. And when Christ cried out, it is finished, test the last time. It was completed and done for us. Now this is what Paul has expounded in chapter number 3. And now as he comes to an end, he calls our attention to the unique features of this salvation. Now we have looked at two of these so far. And I want to look at the third one this morning. The first thing that Paul tells us about this great salvation, how unique it is and how special it is, that Paul tells us is a salvation that vindicates the character of God. Now we saw that before. I'm not going to go over that. Paul says that in Christ's death, God is revealing his righteousness. And let me just say this. Salvation first and foremost does not have man at the center. I repeat, salvation first does not have man at the center. Let me put it another way. The love of God is not the center of salvation. Now I know that some of you might swallow your bubble gum by thinking that what a pastor is preaching heresy. No. What Paul, by the way, go through chapter 3. There's not one mention of love in this chapter with the love of God. Not one mention of it. But what Paul emphasizes again and again in chapter 3 is not about God's love, it's about the righteousness of God. And what Paul is saying that primary and firstly, when it comes to salvation, we need to understand that salvation is designed to vindicate the holiness of God. In other words, when Christ died on the cross, it is true He loved you and He loved me. But that's not the first thing God was showing to you. God was showing to you that He had to punish His Son because He's righteous. He had to vindicate Himself. Listen, it's not your glory and my glory, it's His glory. So Paul wants us to know the first thing about the uniqueness of it is that it vindicates the holiness of God. Now that's hard for us to swallow because we have made this whole thing about us. We have made us the center of the universe. But he is the center of the universe, not us. And when he slew his son, he was saying to you, yes, I love you. But first of all, he was saying to us, I am so holy that my son had to pay for your sins. I could not just wave a wand and forgive you. I had to vindicate my holiness. So in chapter 3, as he comes to the close, he says in verse 26, to declare at this time his righteousness for uh, that he might be just and justifier of them which believe. It's a declaration about God being holy. The second thing that Paul tells us about the uniqueness 
of this uh, salvation that we have in Christ Jesus is that it's a kind of a salvation that not only vindicates the righteousness and the holiness of God, but secondly, it's a kind of a salvation that excludes all human boasting. He says in verse 27, he says, where is boasting then? It's excluded. By what law is boasting excluded? Or by what principle is, is, is boasting? He said, of works. Then he said, uh, of the law, nay, but of the principle of faith. So what the Apostle Paul is emphasizing here in the second case is that when it comes to this matter of salvation, it's designed to exclude all human boasting. And you know how it does that? It does that in one of two ways. Number one, Paul says, it eliminates all works altogether. And secondly, it eliminates all works because it's a free gift. A free gift. You can't work for this. You can't earn this. You can't merit this. It's a free gift. And because you can't work for it and it's a free gift, human boasting is totally excluded. Look, when you and I get to heaven, there's going to be no serious debate between us about how much you did and how much I didn't do. No such debate will ever take place in heaven. You will receive salvation without works as a free gift, and I will receive salvation without works as a free gift. See? No boasting in this regard. So you can't pat your back on, the, on, the, on your back and give yourself any credit. It's a free gift. All you do with a gift is I give you a gift and you either receive it or you reject it. The moment you said, Pastor, I'll pay you for it, I said, it's not a gift any longer. It's not a gift. So Paul wants us to know that the salvation of God not only vindicates the holiness of God, but secondly, it's a kind of salvation that totally obliterates and excludes all kinds of human boasting. There's no room for boasting at the cross. And then the third thing that uh, Paul deals with, and I want to cover this this morning, in verse number 29 and uh, verse 30, is the fact that this great salvation that God offers to us, not only, first of all, is unique in vindicating God, is unique in excluding human boasting. We covered that in previous messages. But the third case, notice what Paul said in verse 29 and verse number 30. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yea, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. And here's the third thing Paul is trying to say to you. This gospel salvation not only vindicates God, it not only excludes human boasting, but in the third case, it abolishes all human distinctions. Every human distinction is obliterated. Paul is saying that when Christ died on the cross, his death removed barrier after barrier, and the, the distinction between the Jew and the Gentile was obliterated. It erased all those human distinctions. The gospel says to you and I that we are all in the same boat, and that boat is sinking, and we need someone to rescue us. See? 
And that one has come to rescue us. So when it comes to the gospel, Paul is now emphasizing that when it comes to the gospel, there's no such thing as a Jewish salvation and a Gentile salvation. Distinctions are removed. Now remember that he's already been pointing this out to us in the previous chapter, leading up to chapter 3. Remember he'd been showing how man is equally guilty before God, whether he be Jew or Gentile? You remember how he did that? The first thing that Paul did is that said when it comes to sin, we're all alike. All have sinned. And then Paul says, there's none righteous, no, not one. And then Paul says, the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And he proves in chapter 1 and 2 that the Jew is unrighteous and unholy. And the Gentile is unrighteous and unholy. They're all in the same boat. So when it comes to this matter of equality, there's no distinction between the fact that we are all under divine wrath because we are all unrighteous and unholy. But then Paul has been showing as well that we are all at the same level by showing that we've all broken the law. You remember how he dealt with the Gentiles in chapter 1? He said the Gentiles had the law of God written in their hearts. Pre-programmed. They know right from wrong. So when a Gentile does wrong, he goes against the law. Written in his heart. But then he turned to the Jews and said, the Jews not only had the law written in their heart, they had a special law that was revealed to them. The Ten Commandments. They broke the law too. So we're equal before God. In that we've all sinned against God. We've all broken the law. That's a level of equality that Paul talks about. And then you remember that Paul in chapter 2 draws up a whole list. About 25 of the worst forms of sin he identifies. And he charges mankind with the commitment of these 25 different forms. Types of sin. Now you can go through Romans chapter 1 and read them for yourself and just tick them off as you go on. Did I ever do that? 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 The Apostle Paul is showing clearly that there's no difference in this man. So here in human history, we all have the same sin record. And when it comes to the law, we've all broken the law of God. But then the Apostle Paul is also showing us here as well. In a third sense, that the cross of Christ also shows us that we are all the same before God and there's no distinction. What I mean by that is this. We all come in the same way. We all get in the same way. See, There's not one way for the Jew and one way for the Gentiles. The Apostle Paul point in this entire passage that this salvation is so unique. It puts all of us on the same level in respect to our sin, in respect to the law, and now in respect to the cross and salvation. There's no distinction. So notice, Paul, in trying to prove the distinctions are removed, uh, he asked some questions in verse number 29, two rhetorical questions. He said, is he the God of the Jew only? Is he not also... Of the Gentiles. And just in case there's any hesitancy, Paul said, let me answer for you. He said, yes, he's the Gentiles also. 
So what Paul is arguing here is that there's only one true living God. There's not one God for the Jew and one God for the Gentile. The Apostle Paul is establishing that Jehovah is supreme. And because he is supreme, all men relate to him. He relates to all men. He removes the distinctions. To the fact that there's one supreme God, not just of the Jew, but of the whole world. Paul is saying it removes the distinction between Jew and Gentile. Now you would call that in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, the Apostle Paul is also knocking at this whole matter that the cross has broken down the barriers and the wall between Jew and Gentiles. In Ephesians chapter 2, he says that Christ and the cross and his blood demolished the walls that existed between Jew and Gentiles. Listen to him what he says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. Who have made both one and have broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Again, notice it's the cross. It's the blood. The apostle Paul is emphasizing that the cross is unique because it removes all distinctions. Now today, we have created so many artificial distinctions among men. Some people are profoundly nationalistic. We are so nationalistic that uh, in the Caribbean that we can't even make CARICOM work. Every little island is trying to defend its little space and protect its jobs and protect its people. So if a Ghanese come over to Antigua, uh, they want to ship him up. If one go to Barbados, we want to ship them out too. See? Well, we've created all these kind of things. We forgot that. <laughs> I think Caribbean people forget where they came from. See? So, but it's amazing the distinctions that we make with each other. You know, we've got national distinctions. And then, of course, racial distinctions is dividing not only America, but you go to places like Guyana. You talk about racial distinctions. Trinidad. You talk about racial distinctions. It is hot in those countries. So if you just think it's a black and white thing, you're sadly mistaken. See? Racial distinction. We've got also social distinction. I am in the upper class, you're in the middle class, you're in the lower class. You know, we must not cross lines and cross borders. You must remember where you are, sir. Stay in your place. Caste system. Why we create all kinds of division. And then, of course, we've got the educational class and we've got uh, all the other distinctions. You know, I've got my PhD, you've got your little BA. And just remember that I got a PhD, you've got a BA. So let's, let's remember, know your place, sir. See? Distinctions. I want to tell you that when it comes to the cross of Christ, sir, whether you've got a PhD or you've got an MA or you don't have anything at all, you're all coming in at the same door. See? All coming in at the same door, see? No distinction whatsoever, see. Paul is emphasizing that the cross, the cross declares that God is the God of the world, that God loves the world, 
That whether you be pink, blue, black, green, yellow, I couldn't care whether you be Chinese or Indian or whether you be African or you be West Indian or you be American or Englishman. I don't care who you are. The crosses, you're all the same. There's no distinction before God. Now I think we need a message like that today, by the way. There's nothing that will heal people more than the cross. There's nothing that can bring people together more than the cross. If I were to go to this church this morning and I would identify the nationalities here, you'd be surprised. You'd think we're in a cosmopolitan country. <laughs> Sitting right here, I'm saying they're Dominicans, they're Antiguans, they're Barbadians, they are St. Lucians, they're Guyanese, they are Trinidadians, and I, I don't know any Grenadians here, but I'll tell you this this church this morning have got a multiplicity of nationalities. But what has brought you here? The cross. We can sit before the word of God. And what draws us is the cross. The apostle Paul is clearly saying to us here. That God is the God of the Jew. And he's God of the Gentile. There's only one true God. And our gospel proclaims that. Remember, Judaism didn't proclaim that, you know. Judaism proclaimed that we got a God here, and, uh, you know, you just come to this God, and He's not the God of the Gentiles, He's God of the Jew. But Paul said in the cross, that is God. He's the God of all men. He's God of all nationalities. There's no distinctions. They're all totally erased. And that's what makes this cross unique. And then, the, th- the second thing is, Paul says that not only is God the God of the universe, both Jew and Gentile, but the second thing that Paul emphasizes is notice in verse, verse 30. Seeing it is one God which what? Justifies the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision. So the second thing Paul emphasizes here that proves that there's no distinction, not only that God is the God of Jew and Gentile in sending Christ to die, but not only that, that God has made only one way to appropriate this propitiatory sacrifice. There's only one way to get it. And Paul says, that's the way of faith. He justifies the Gentiles through faith. And he justifies the Jew by faith. Just a, a play on words, by the way. If I had time this morning... I would refer you to the book of Galatians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 2 verse 16 and Galatians chapter 3 verse 8. And see that Paul transposes those terms, be, uh, by and through, basically the same thing. What Paul is emphasizing here, the great point that Paul is saying, is that when it comes to this matter of salvation, it is through faith in the propitiatory sacrifice of Christ that brings a man into a relationship with God. There's no alternative, no other way. We all come in the same way. See, that's what Paul is saying. Now, I, I wonder when you go through the New Testament, you wonder why it was so important for the Apostle Paul to emphasize this. And again, when you know New Testament history and follow New Testament, the foots of the Apostles in the book of Acts, you soon discover that it was essential that they emphasize this matter because the Jews found this as a stumbling block. 
they could not believe that the same message for the Gentiles was the same message for them. They were profoundly uh, affected by this. As a matter of fact, if you go to the book of Acts, you'll find that when the apostles began to carry the message beyond Jerusalem and into Samaria, as the most part, the one group that confronted them again and again was the Jew. They would leave a place like Berea and go to Thessalonica, miles walking to oppose the apostle Paul preaching this message. They could not countenance the fact that the cross and the message of the cross removed differences and the message was for each alike and there was no distinction. Now, by the way, I think we need to re-emphasize today this message that there's only one way to God. I have met people today uh, who remind you that they were born into a Christian family. So they think they got a ticket to heaven because mommy was a Christian. Or they can hold on on mommy's coattail that when mommy's slipping, they can pull, she can pull him too. There are people today who are philanthropists. They're do-gooders. They're busy helping people and they say to you, but I, I don't see... Why I need this Christianity? I don't see why I need this, this Christ. I'm doing as much good as Christians do. There are others today who are very respectable and very, very moral. They look down their noses on other people and they say, you know, when I compare myself with other people in the church, I would give myself a pass. I don't need this Christianity. Listen. The gospel is not only good, not only for good people. The gospel is not only for bad people. The gospel is for all people. See, see, all people, irrespective. There's only one way. Today, if there was ever a time of religious confusion, it's this time. Now, I got saved when I was about 16 years old. I'm now running, going up past... Not quite halfway 65. But the clock is running out for me. And I got saved when I was about 16. It's a long time ago, brother. Can't believe it. Never thought I would reach here. But you know what? When I look at the religious landscape today. And the confusion on the religious landscape today. I thank God I got saved when I was 16. People are so confused. Yes, yes. They don't want to believe anymore. They go on the internet and they read this and they read the next and they just believe everything they read. Yes. They hear somebody say something and they parrot it off. They ape it off. We're in a state of confusion. And I think it's important for us to understand how vitally important it is to reassert again that there's only one way to God. Amen. Only one way to God. Today people are calling for all religions to get together. Yes. <laughs> As a matter of fact, we are counseled uh, that we must stop criticizing each other. We must stop claiming that this guy is wrong and we are right. 
And we are told that we must come together and pool our insights. Let us appreciate all our differences so that we can worship God together. So we, with Hindus and Mohammedans and Buddhists and Confucianists and Taoists and Muslims and animists and shamans, let's all get together. Let's all have a jolly good time. And the world says, that's good. That's good. Now you Christians understand love. Could I say to you, such thinking is not love. It's a travesty of love. Because it mocks the greatest display of love. The death of Christ on the cross. It mocks that and say, that doesn't make any difference. So this talk about getting together and showing each other love and forgetting our differences and just major, we are all common beliefs. Let us just worship God together. May I ask you a question? Which man or woman here this morning can worship God except you become reconciled to God? You tell me. Is there any man here or woman that can pray and worship God who has not been reconciled to God? Such a man doesn't exist. You don't rush into God's presence as though what you've done doesn't matter. And you're a big man. You don't do that. You humble yourself before God. See? And you do what he says that's needed to be done. To be reconciled. God was in Christ doing what? Reconciling the world unto himself. What is reconciliation, brother? Let me tell you what reconciliation is. Me and this guy got a fight here. We got a strong disagreement. What you did me? Well, we... We got a, a real battle. Real problem. You know. Now you know what I got to do? I got to solve that problem. Now there are some people who have done you wrong. They've cost your name. They've slandered you. They've done everything again. And then they come and go, pally, pally, pally. But you know what? They may be pally, pally, pally. But you're saying to yourself, boy, that ain't going to work. That ain't going to work. See? Now my point is this. Until I get things right with Robert... And say to Robert, look, I've done you wrong. And not only that, if Robert tells me I need to go to a channel. Pastor, you need a mediator. You need somebody who's objective. So he says to me, I need to get a mediator. So I get this mediator and we come together. You know who's our mediator? There's one mediator between God and man. Who? The man Christ Jesus. He takes all of your hand and God's hand and he brings you together. There's no other person who can do that. So tell me. You tell me how religions can get together. You tell me how a Christian can pray with a Muslim. You tell me how a Christian can pray with a Hindu. Who's God you pray to? Unless you're reconciled to God, your prayer never gets to Him. Listen, we're so confused. We need to get back to the truth of Scripture. And be guided by the truth of scripture, not the opinion of men. See? They tell us that modern religion is like climbing a great mountain where God is at the top or the summit. So what happens to Christian is climbing on one side. The Muslim is climbing on the other side. And the other religion is climbing. But the, pro- the, the real thing they say to you is that we're all going to the same summit. So it doesn't matter where you go. The Muslim goes one way, the Christian goes where, the Hindu goes where, the Taoist goes. It doesn't matter what way you go. It's just that they're all going after the, same, the summit. Well, let me ask you something. What does the Bible say? 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. I am the door. If any man will enter, he must enter through me. So tell me about these different ways now. Listen, all that is, is religious politics. They're politicizing religion. See? You come back to biblical truth and understand that the principle that is emphasized in scripture is that God has made one way and all men and women must come to that one way and that way is to Jesus Christ. Every year, every year they have a come together of religions who call the World Congress of Religions. Every year. And you know why they come together? They say we come together for worship, fellowship, and dialogue. Hindu, Buddhist, Confucian, Muslim, and Christian. We come in for worship, prayer, and dialogue. And you know what the world says? That is maturity. The world says that is joint tolerance. That is open-mindedness, pastor. That is Christian love and charity. But what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Have no fellowship. Be unfruitful works of darkness. Be not unequally yoked together with what? Unbelievers. Look, I am not one of those that are for religious pluralism. I'm not one that believes that all religions are equally right. I believe there's only one God and only one true faith, only one true Christ, only one, one true way. That is Jesus Christ. There's no other way but through him. See? And if you're offended by that, so be it. So be it. See? It's not going to change me. not going to change this book. It's not going to change heaven. It's not going to change God. And I will tell you, what you need to do is to turn around. Turn around and humble yourself. So Paul is emphasizing here in this passage that not only the Godhood of God in the sense that he's the God of the universe, the Jew and the Gentile, that has removed these distinctions, but Paul is emphasizing that there's also the fact that there's only one way, and that's the way of faith. So I want to say to you this morning that if you are here and you do not know Jesus Christ as Savior, you are going to miss out big time. Big time. You need to come to Christ. You need to trust Christ. You need to receive him as your Savior. This is what Paul said is unique about this great gospel. It vindicates God in showing that God was righteous and holy in God having to punish his son. He could not just out of love forgive us. He had to punish his son showing that he is a holy God. It excludes boasting. There's no room for human boasting because there's no merit for you and for me. There's nothing you can do. Law, works, can't be. And then Paul is saying, it's a gospel that also removes all distinctions between men. There's no difference. 
No difference. And he uses two arguments that God is the God of Jew and the Gentile. And not only that, God has one way of reconciling the Jew and one way of reconciling the Gentile. And that way is by the way of faith. That is what Paul argues here. Now, in closing this morning, I want to remind you of the uniqueness of Christ in respect to where human salvation is concerned. The testimony of scripture is this, that there's only one name given under heaven whereby a man might be saved. One name. There's only one way, the Bible says. There's only one truth. There's only one life. But the book of Hebrews says there's only one sacrifice. Timothy says there's only one mediator. And the book of John says there's only one begotten son of God. Christ Jesus. Listen to me and I want you to listen very, very, very clearly this morning. Finally, the Bible said there's only one door to God. I don't know who you are this morning. I don't know what religious ideas you entertain. But I do want to say to you this morning that we have a unique salvation that is offered to you in the gospel. It's not a gospel, it's not a salvation according to what you think or what you want to believe. It's according to what God teaches in His Word. And one of those things He teaches this morning is that you ever, ever get to know God, you have to come in one way, and that is the way of faith. Faith, not in faith. I point this out to our church, by the way. There are people who got faith in faith. Serious. You know what they depend upon for the, to get saved? They remember the day. They remember the day when they had faith. And they keep saying, I, I had faith to believe. So they got faith in the faith. But it's not faith. In, it's faith in the finished work of Christ. What saves you is not your faith. It's what you put your faith in. What are you depending on? I don't think people understand that. If you're depending on the law, that will never save you. If you're depending on the church, that will never save you. If you're depending on a perfection, that will never save you either. What saves you is your faith in the finished work of Christ. The propitiatory work. That is what satisfies God. And if you don't have your faith in that, I say to you, sir, your faith is in vain this morning. In vain. So where do you stand this morning? What is God saying to you this morning? What false beliefs and system you had entertained in your mind that the scripture is now washing it out? What is it pointing to you? What you came to look for? The message to you is very, very simple. It makes no difference who you are. You come to God one way and one way only. By faith in the work of Jesus Christ. That, sir, and nothing else is what salvation is all about. Let's pray. Father, thank you for those who sat and listened. Trust that we have used the word this morning. To bring light and not darkness. That we have taken your word this morning. And unfold the truth of it. So simple but yet so profound.
by a system of simple rhetorical questions. The Apostle Paul points out to us how unique this salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. Oh Lord, help men and women who are seated here this morning to understand that the Christian faith is not one among many. It's the one and only faith that connects man with God. It's the one and only answer. We must humble ourselves and take scripture for what scripture says. And put our faith and trust in the provision that God has made for us through his son. Lord, we couldn't work this problem out. We couldn't solve this problem. We had no means of dealing with our sins. We had no means of getting righteousness. And out of your sovereign grace and your love for us, you sent your son to die on the cross to pay the debt of our sins and then to take his righteousness and impute it to us at that moment of faith. Oh Lord, remove any false ideas from our minds this morning and help us to have a firm grasp on New Testament salvation and biblical Christianity. Help us to know that we can only be bold in preaching the word because we're preaching truth. We're not ashamed of what we preach. We'll not apologize for what we've preached. We've been asked to declare the whole counsel of God, and I believe we've done that this morning. Father, if there be one here that is not saved, have never come to know Christ, who've never been reconciled, have never understood the truth as it is in Christ Jesus, who've never fully grasped what this gospel is all about, who've never really pondered the biblical teaching. Oh, Holy Spirit, you and you alone can bring conviction. That's your work. That's your ministry. We have discharged our duty by preaching your word. Now would you take that very word, which is the sword of the spirit, and use it to cut incisively into the hearts and minds of men and point them to Christ. Lord, if you wound this morning, point the oil in the balsam and heal because Christ has come with healing in his wings. Work, O oh Lord, and do that which no man can do in bringing men to faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the time together. We ask for your closing blessing upon us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Be sure you join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us the fourth distinguishing mark of the gospel as it relates to the law. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.